I'm tired. Not because I didn't sleep well last night, because I went to bed early. I slept well last night. I'm just tired. Like the tiredness that hits you at a deep core level. Like a tiredness that like pervades every area of life that is just present no matter where you go or what you do. There's a tiredness that's there. And I say this not so that you feel bad for me or, or anything about me, but rather I say it out loud because I suspect you're tired as well. And I say that because I look in your eyes, I hear the words that you say, uh, can read in between the words that are not said, the body language, just the movement in life. I think we're all tired. I think we're all walking through something that we've obviously never walked through. For the last year, every area of our life has been disrupted. Every area. And so we feel it physically, we feel it relationally, we feel it spiritually, we feel it emotionally, we feel it mentally. We feel tired. We all respond differently to this feeling. Some of us are just like, we're just going to get through this. You're just plugging along, firing away. We're going to overcome every obstacle. We're going to just, we're just going to win. We got it. We got it. Nothing is too big for us. And then there's others of us who have withdrawn and you pull back. And maybe you've withdrawn work-wise or friendship-wise or church-wise or even with God, there's been this withdrawing and, and, and closing a circle. Maybe for others, you've been living in a season of denial of, I don't understand why everyone is overreacting. I don't understand why this is happening and this is happening. Let's just get back to the way it was. Some of us have just been on this up and down and up and down roller coaster ride of a good day, bad day, upside down, all over the place. We respond differently. But no matter how you're responding outwardly, I think for many, if not all of us, there's this level of just maybe chronic exhaustion that's just sitting there, simmering, or even sitting heavy. It's important for us to verbalize this, not only for our own good, because it's felt good saying that in three different services, but also for the good of others. Because you need to have permission to say you're tired as well. And to be honest about what you're processing, and if you have that chronic exhaustion that you need to, to get that out, to verbalize that. And so what I want to do to start today is I want to read a passage of Scripture from Paul. And just to allow that to wash over you, to sit in broken places, tired places, just to rest in it. And so I'm going to read, I'm going to pause, and then I'm going to pray. And in that time of pause, just, just rest. Okay. So I just want you to listen to these words. Don't turn there. Don't guess where it's at. Just, just listen to the words. Second Corinthians, I just I told you I wasn't going to go there. I'm in that habit. It's to the church at Corinth. I'll tell you that. It says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, 
so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Would you take a moment and just rest in these words? Jesus, in a world, a reality, um, a personality, whatever it may be, that where we can so often just go, 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 consume and go, do, create, Lord, you call us to be still. So, Lord, help us to be still in your presence. Lord, thank you that we can pause in this moment Lord, we can allow the words of Paul just to rush over us. Lord, recognizing that you are with us in our hardships, the sufferings, burdens. And Lord, that you provide comfort to us. So Father, we speak comfort over us right now. And Lord, as we journey through these next few minutes and look at some scripture, I pray that you'd meet each one of us exactly where we're at. And so Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things I forgot to do when you walked in was give you communion. So um, at the end of service, we're going to receive a communion. And so um, could I have maybe Randy and MZ, would you guys pass these out? Oh. Thanks, sir. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. So one of the things I like to do when I prepare a message is I love to leave this building. Is There's a, a lot of activity. There's projects all the time, but I love to go away. And one of the places I go away, there's a spot where I like to sit and the sunshine pours in, beautiful countertop. But the spot I like is particularly because there are two orchids that are sitting there. And this week, as I was sitting in the spot preparing the message, I was looking at this orchid that's there, and there's a purple one that sits off to the left a little bit, and the sunshine just pouring into the space. And I started to consider this orchid that it is set in a good place. It is in an environment where there's good soil, there's great sun. I'm sure they're watering it because it looks really great. And I thought about the environment that we're planted in. And one of the things that we often learn as Christians is that just put yourself in a good environment, get the right amount of Jesus in your life, and everything will be good. 
you're going to flourish. You're going to blossom. You're going to bloom. But that's not always the case. Is that a lot of times life is not in a good environment around us. That we stay planted in one particular area and we continue just to nourish us, but we forget about the realities that are around us. And I started thinking about how I've seen other plants, weeds, trees, whatever it is, grow in very difficult places. Just wait a couple months, you'll look at our parking lot and you'll see this happening. But a number of these pictures here that Adrian's going to scroll through is these places where plant life should never thrive or grow. Poking through asphalt, poking through places where there's no other life, but somehow it's surviving. Flowers blooming in shells of guns. Difficult realities that still life finds a way to flourish, even in the most difficult environments and circumstances. There's something that happens. So how do we flourish? How do we become fruitful in difficult environments, in difficult times? Greek philosophers like to talk about this, amongst many other things, is they had a term about human flourishing called eudaimonia. Not a word that we've used, I've never used it, but this eudaimonia is this idea of human flourishing at its fullest reality. Is that life is full and meaningful and fruitful when you're walking in this eudaimonia. Now we as Americans, we just put it in little catchphrases, and so maybe you've seen it on t-shirts or in a, a bumper sticker of life is good, right? I mean, this was really popular uh, years ago, is that just life is good, I'm good. But really what philosophers talked about and what even some current thinkers are talking about, there's a researcher from Harvard named Tyler Vanderweel, and he said these are the five key areas for human flourishing. He runs a department about human flourishing. He says these are the five. Happiness, so just general happiness. In order to flourish, he says, we have to be happy. In order to flourish, we need to be healthy. This is both physical health and mental health. He says that we need meaning and purpose. So we need character and virtue. And then also we need good social relationships. So people around us that we can connect with. So he's saying these are the things that lead to flourishing as a human being. Well, if this is what we're standing on for human flourishing, this last year has been a nightmare, right? Happiness for many has gone out the window. Health is, we've talked about health all year long with so many people being sick, a half million people dying um, just from COVID and so much more. Meaning and purpose, countless people I've talked to that are questioning just kind of meaning of life and purpose. Character and virtue, there's all sorts of commentary we can make about the last year about character and virtue. Relationships, our circles have gotten tighter and tighter and smaller and smaller, and these relationships are not as strong as they once were. And so we look at this in the last year, and we just think this has been a nightmare kind of year. Human flourishing is impossible if we're measuring it from these standards. Our world is in crisis and chaos, and how can we flourish in the face of death? Gallup recently released a, a survey that they had taken, a poll they had taken, and they measured seven different areas of life. And in this poll, they looked at gender, political party, religious service attendance, race, marital status, age, and income. And now Gallup is not a Christian organization, so there's not any sort of bent with this. They're just getting a, a rounded view. On average, in all of these areas, 
there was somewhere between a 9 and a 13 percentage point drop in mental health from 19 and through 20. 9 to 13% decrease in mental health across the board in all these areas from 2019 and through 2020. Three of the most significant drops in mental health were Republicans, which is negative 15 points, those who seldom or never attend a religious service at negative 13 points, and those who make over $40,000 at negative 12 points. So if you fit all three of those categories, or you know someone that does, that explains a whole lot of this last year and conversations and posts that are going on with that. It's a tough year. But remember, we look often at flourishing through these five factors that the researcher had. And so again, of course, our mental health is impacted because we're not seeing growth or flourishing in any of these areas or maybe just a few of these areas. But there was one area that I thought was really interesting on this poll where mental health increased, only one. And the increase came, this one group was a plus four percentage point for those attending a weekly religious service. Now, it didn't say what kind of faith background or denomination or online or in person, but this is the only group that Gallup found that had, a, that had an increase in mental health in the last year, is weekly religious service attendance. What was significant, too, in this is that going from the weekly religious service attendance down to the, what they called nearly weekly or monthly attendance, that group had a negative 12% drop, that second group. And so there was a 16-point swing from those who had weekly attendance to this nearly weekly or monthly change in mental health. It's a significant, one of the largest drops in this entire survey. What some people projected early on with COVID and is holding true, again, as research has done, is that one-third of Christians have stopped attending church at all. No online, nothing in person. One-third. One-third. So when we look around us, we see a world struggling and there's something to be said about those who are, who are weakly plugged into something, some sort of community, some sort of connection of mental health. But the psalmist, he, he wrote words that he didn't need a Gallup poll. The psalmist knew this. Listen to these words from Psalm 91, or 92, written over a thousand years ago. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God, and they will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. So here we have the psalmist saying, stay planted in the house of God. This is where flourishing and growth comes from, is this planting. But Jesus taught about this too. Jesus taught us in John 15. He said this, he said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So hear what Jesus says. He's going to repeat a phrase, remain in me, a number of times. Verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So what Jesus is saying is what Paul picked up later on in this in Christ um, lifestyle, in Christ theology. We talked about it this summer when we were outdoors. I had the tubs out there and talked about how the one tub of in Christ is, is in us, and then we are in Christ, and then in God. We talked about that. We had that illustration. This is this Pauline theology of positional realities of staying connected. It's what Jesus is teaching, staying connected to the vine. This is where flourishing and fruitfulness come from. Jesus continues in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus is teaching us is the importance of remaining in him. Jesus is saying that this connectedness to him, staying in the vine is of the utmost importance. The reason being is that the world spins. This is this hardship, this challenge, this difficulty, but yet in the middle, staying connected to the vine, we just are steadfast. We hold on. We trust. It's this firm place. Danny Treeweek, she said this. She said, the biblical concept of flourishing comes as a direct result of being in restored relationship with God, ultimately through Christ, under his right and gracious rule. Our world understands flourishing to be the direct result of being in right relationship with ourselves and under the conditions where we are able to freely and fully express who we claim to be, or to, or who we claim or wish to be. Would you put up that next slide there, Adrian, please? So again, going back to what the Harvard researcher was saying gives us meaning and purpose and flourishing in life, the secular worldview says, I need to have these things in place or intact or at least increasing in measure, and then I go through these things, and then I flourish. That's how I flourish, is on the other side of these things. But the biblical view is, is that I flourish because I'm in Christ, because I'm connected to the vine, I'm remaining in him. And so when I remain in him and I have this flourishing, this fruitfulness, then maybe some of these things will happen. See, we somehow think that like, just because we're in Christ, all these things are going to be perfect. But if anyone has been a Christian longer than like five minutes, you know there's challenges in that. But the result is, is that we start from a place of flourishing instead of trying to get to a place of flourishing. And then the outcome are these things as we follow Jesus. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, we do not lose heart. See, when you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you're broken, you've got burdens, you're suffering, it's so easy to lose heart. But he says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. I love this. Is that like in a physical manner, we get older, right? Body starts wearing down, things start happening to it. He's saying we're wasting away on the outside, but also beyond the body, 
there's things that are wasting around us. But the reality is, is that inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. It doesn't matter what's around us. We can be renewed day by day. And I love verse 17 and 18. Because we see with Paul, if we know some of Paul's, what he's gone through, he's gone through all sorts of hardships. Shipwrecks. He was hungry. He was in prison. He was robbed. He was beaten. I mean, Paul had it hard. He had some sufferings. But he says this. He says, verse 17, For our light and momentary troubles, his shipwreck, his beating, he's saying light and momentary troubles, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. So he's saying we're not looking at the hardships that are around us, the sufferings, the difficulty. We're not fixing our eyes there. But the unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, the world sees this here and now, the brokenness, the pain, the suffering, as all there is. But the biblical worldview is that there is life beyond this. And so we hold on in faith and we hold on in confidence that this is not the end. It's not about getting it all now. Jesus said it this way, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So again, it's this this idea of thinking about those flourishing elements. Seek his kingdom first. Be in him first. Then what does he say? He says, and then all these things will be given to you as well. There's promise, there's life, there's fruitfulness that come out of that. This is flourishing. This is fruitfulness. So in Christ. So you think about your situation. You think about your life. You think about your reality, difficulty. And there's suffering and there's hardship. But I want to suggest to you that you cannot and will not flourish and be fully fruitful if you just stay in you. What I'm suggesting is in order to be fruitful and to flourish, you need to step into someone else's suffering. So it's not just about me. we got to recognize the fact that there's promises for me, but that's incomplete. It's stepping into someone else's suffering. That's where we can be fulfilled, where we can be fruitful. It's where we can grow. Paul said it this way. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So there's two assumptions that we can pull out of this that are not there in the text. The first thing is, is that everyone has burdens. True or false? Two people are agreeing with this. I'm going to assume there's some other people that are, that are having some burdens, some hardships. So the first thing is, I'm going to assume that we all have burdens. The second thing out of this is that you are not expected to carry your burden by yourself. So we all have burdens, and you're not expected to carry your burdens by yourself. But this does not mean you're like, no one's helping me with my burden. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pout. I've seen way too many Christians do this. What this means, he said, carry each other's burdens. That means you actively step into someone else's suffering, carrying their burdens, even if you're suffering and you feel like no one's carrying yours. You step into that. Because guess what? This is where the flourishing and the fruitfulness comes. Have you ever had a moment where you have just felt down or broken or empty, just not having value, whatever it may be, and you step in and you help someone else? What does that do to your heart and your mind? I mean, there's like a fulfillment of, I help someone else. 
I served them. I carried their burdens. The reason you feel that way is that's the Spirit of God working in you and through you, and that's part of the design of the church serving each other, carrying each other's burdens, that you step into someone else's and you've got yours. And I pray that somewhere in that time, someone comes and helps you, but you also need to verbalize your burden too. You need to say, I'm tired. You need to say, I'm broken. I'm suffering. I'm without this. I'm feeling this. Whatever it may be, you speak that. See, suffering is not just about us. It's not just about me here suffering alone. It's about me stepping in and suffering with others. This is part of the healing and the flourishing in the face of death and hardship. And I want to suggest, too, is that suffering does one of two things to us. It causes us to get really bitter if we just stay here. Bitter and broken. Or we step into it, not alone with others. And it accelerates our maturity. See, when you're walking through suffering, when you're not suppressing it, denying it, pushing it aside, explaining it away, when you're in suffering, whether it's yours or someone else's, it causes you to mature. Think of some of the most significant maturing moments in your life, spiritually, relationally, physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever it may be. I'm guessing there is a hardship attached to it. I'm guessing there is a suffering attached to it. See, God wants to use sufferings to accelerate our spiritual growth if we allow it to do that. I know I've missed opportunities in my life where a hardship could have refined me more. But now I look forward, I'm like, what is this that, that I can learn from this hardship? I want you to hear the words from 2 Corinthians again, the ones that I told you, I wasn't going to tell you where it was at, but I told you where it was at. 2 Corinthians verse, or chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Well, Paul is saying, listen, you go through stuff. God wants to comfort you. And if you allow God to comfort you, use your comfort you receive from God to comfort others. Use your situation to comfort others. Go into the suffering of others. Verse 5 says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So Jesus is with us in our suffering, so we can be with others in their sufferings. Jesus is with us in our comfort, so we can be comfort to others. Verse 6, If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. I don't like that phrase, patient endurance. I don't like that at all. But it's so needed, right? That's suffering, is that we patiently endure the reality. It's not just pushing through it. Verse 7, And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Consider where we're at in the year. We're moving toward Easter. We're moving to Good Friday to the cross. When we talk about suffering and we talk about comfort, we can't look past the cross. Is that Jesus, he, he took pain and hardship and sin 
and suffering upon himself on the cross. It wasn't something just for him to get through, but rather there was purpose. See, when he took that suffering, he used that suffering for our comfort, for our salvation. That suffering for for our well-being, both now and eternal. It's like Isaiah said, by his wounds we're healed. We receive the blessing of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus through the wounds of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus. We've said many times that the cross is the greatest picture of love. And true love is selfless love. True love is always about the other person, not about what I can get out of it. Loving someone else is for their good. It's supposed to be selfless. It's supposed to be self-giving, self-sacrificial. In a way, you could say that the truest form of love, as it's self-giving, is suffering. Right? Have you ever thought about true love as suffering? Because if you're truly loving someone else, you're denying yourself and you're giving to them. Jesus gave us the purest form of love on that cross because he denied himself and he gave us life and hope. I mean, this is what it should be like in marriages and in um, parent-child relationships and, and friendships and so on and so forth. It's the self-giving, suffering kind of love. But what do we do? We avoid suffering often. So even as I said the truest form of love is a form of suffering, you probably went, hmm, I don't know if I agree with that. But that's our human nature, to deny suffering, to run away from suffering, to, to push it away and just try to seek pleasure for ourselves. We don't like to think about suffering, but suffering has purpose. Suffering gives life. And we never suffer alone because the Lord is with us in our sufferings and in our comforts. And two, we share, others can be too. See, our suffering can move us towards people. Our suffering can help others in their suffering. So think of this. If you have had cancer, you've experienced any sort of significant illness, you've had a spouse die, you've had a child die, you've had a loved one die, you've had a spouse cheat on you, you've gone through a divorce, you've lost a job, you've been bankrupt, you've not had a home, you've been addicted, journeying through depression or anxiety, you have suffered. You have faced death or a form of death in your life. And in those times, to flourish seems about as far away from a reality as possible. But yet, yet, in these dark moments, in these these tastes of death, As followers of Christ, there's this glimmer of hope always there. That we realize that we're not suffering alone and that suffering is not meaningless, that there's purpose, whether it's in my own life or whether it's me stepping in with my own suffering into someone else's to help them to be part of their hope, to be part of their healing. See, hope in suffering, it begins by accepting the reality of the pain that you're facing. The brokenness in your life is that you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have it all together. We all deal 
with burdens and hardships and suffering and pain. See, Jesus is with us in our suffering. Jesus tells us that good will come if we allow it. Jesus will use each other to bring it. This is part of the kingdom of God coming here and now bringing this healing. See, what I'm talking about is far greater than optimism of like, okay, I'm at a hard time. I'm just going to step into this optimistic place and everything's going to be good. But rather, it is hope based on the promises of God. It is flourishing in the face of death. It is fruitfulness in the face of death. And so today, I think a lot of times, I was thinking about this after second service here, is a lot of times when I communicate, I want to provoke, I want to poke. I want you to walk out of here with more questions than answers, and that may sound really weird, but it's because I want you to turn and say, all right, God, what is it that you want out of this? What is it out of some of the scripture, out of some of the questions, or out of some of the questions that I have that I'm like, I don't know about that. I want it to provoke something within you so that there is like this life that comes out of the soil that God is working in your life. And that as you water it and that you put some sun on it, it continues to grow, even if there's a difficult reality around you. So one of the things I'm going to ask you to do, I did this in every service, is if you, I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm simply going to ask you to stand because I want to pray for you. So if you personally now are facing any form of suffering or brokenness or hardship or pain, whether that's spiritual, mental, relational, um, physical, whatever it may be. If you're walking through something right now, I'm gonna ask you to stand and I wanna pray for you. So I'm not gonna call you forward, I'm not gonna ask you what it is. I'm just gonna ask you to stand right now and I'm gonna pray. So if this is you, you're facing anything, suffering, hardship, pain, mental, emotional, whatever it may be, would you stand? And let's pray. Jesus, you see us. We see each other. Whether we looked or we just heard others standing with us, we're not standing alone. For God, as your word says, what you wrote to the church at Corinth, is that we have suffering so we can suffer with others. We have comfort from you so we can comfort others. So Lord Jesus, in this moment, we acknowledge your presence with us and in the middle of whatever the situation reality is. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would infuse deep into the minds and the hearts what you're doing God, that your comfort is coming, that you are with them. And Jesus, I pray, God, by the Spirit's power, your comfort, and even if it's just an inkling of comfort right now from your word, by your Spirit, or God, whether it's just a rushing of comfort because of your truth, so your word and your Spirit's power, God, I pray that those standing right now, God, would receive that. God, that your Spirit would continue to comfort, would continue to guide God, I pray that for those standing, for those of us standing, God, that we would share this. God, whatever level of tiredness or exhaustion or concern or situation, God, we would share this and allow others to carry our burdens. Jesus, you've not left us alone. God, help us to be a church that is honest, a church that carries each other's burdens, 
a church that meets each other in whatever place it may be, may be at. And so, Father, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for healing that you want to bring, hope that you want to bring. And so, Father, I pray that you would infuse that deep into hearts and minds. And Lord Jesus, we commit the path ahead to you. We pray this all in your strong and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. So as we wrap up in just a moment here, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And as we receive the Lord's Supper, communion, this is, this is a reminder of suffering. Uh, the communion table says, do this in remembrance of me. It's a reminder of the suffering that Jesus went through so that we would have comfort. It's a reminder of the brokenness in his life physically and even spiritually as he took our sin upon himself so that he would bring healing. And so when we take this, there's deep meaning and impact to this. And so would you take a moment to give thanks for Jesus, for his broken body, and for his shed blood? And then I'll lead us through a time of receiving the Lord's Supper. So Jesus, we give you thanks. Lord, you call us to receive the bread and the juice with gratitude. And so, Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus, for the suffering that you took on the cross. And as Scripture records, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said these words, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take an eat? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the, the new covenant in my blood. And do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. When you're ready, take a drink. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that you do not leave us alone. Thank you for the opportunity for us, just in a simple, brief way, to remember your suffering and also to remember your comfort. So, Lord, we speak comfort and we speak peace. And we pray this in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen. As we wrap up, Nick's going to come and just share a few brief announcements. But um, as practice, I want to invite you along. Um, just We want to give you tools, and we want to invite you. Um, don't feel pressure to do these things, but we just want to continue to give you different opportunities. Maybe something that you can do as you walk through what we've talked about as you process some of this is that about a third of the psalms are lament psalms, meaning crying out. And so you see this, um, the pain of the psalmist 
laid forth. Sometimes you read a psalm and it just talks about praising God through the entire thing and you're not in that place at that moment um, where everything is great and lovely. So I want to give you a few psalms that are laments that you can pray this week. Psalm 10, 13, 60, 79, and 80 are great uh, lament psalms. One of the beautiful things about lament psalms is that although there is complaint in it, they resolve with, yet I will praise the Lord, or yet I will serve the Lord. There's this resolve at the end of it of like, here's my situation, let's get it all out, but I'll still follow you. And maybe a practice that you can do too is to write your own lament prayer, is that you need to just write down what's going on, what are you processing, just to get it out from here and here to something that you can look at, that you can examine, that you can pray over. And so you can write a lament, and then as the psalmist do, is, is return to, yet I will serve the Lord, or I still want to follow, or whatever it may be that you can write that. Also, I want to encourage you, is that if you're in a place where just you feel that suffering, you feel that brokenness, you feel alone, is you're not intended to live alone. So find someone that you can talk to, that you can share with, that you can speak to. And that may be someone in your own household. It may be a friend. Uh, but maybe it's someone here at the church, uh, another, you know, someone here in the congregation. Maybe it's someone on staff. Um, also, you know, it might be a counselor. It might be a coach. Um, someone that you can go to that you can, you can just share. And I say this publicly because there's not shame in it. Is that about a year, year and a half ago, is that I went and started seeing a counselor just because, um, as I was telling Joanna, like everything was just kind of bunching up and I needed to get it out in a different way and have someone speak back into me that didn't know me. And so maybe your step is a counselor. We can recommend a counselor to you. And it's been fruitful and, um, and just it's been helpful, but, um, but there's still a process. I'm still growing. I have a long way to go. Um, and also, if you, if you happen to have training in some of these areas as coaching, counseling, whatever it may be, and you want to be a part of helping other people, um, let me know too, because my heart is for us to have some sort of care team built here, uh, like a quick care team, and, uh, and to have some sort of response that we can have in a lot of different ways for people. So we're working on that, and maybe you want to be a part of that. Music.